Changed by Love is the teaching ministry of Pastor Jim Kevney of Calvary Chapel, Morris Hills, located in Dover, New Jersey. Our desire is to teach the Word of God with passion and simplicity, as well as a direct application for our lives. With that in mind... So Jesus died on the cross in our place for our sins. So if you will, we can run as God's little children into the throne of grace. We now have access. And I think that's seen here in the contrast between death and life. It says here that Jesus was put to death by who? By people and made alive by the Spirit. And I would say by the agency of the Holy Spirit. And for us... When we put our trust in Jesus Christ, our eternal destiny changes. Did you know before Jesus came to earth and died on a cross, everyday people did not have direct access to God? That was the role of the priests in the temple. However, following Jesus' death and ensuing rising from that death, that barrier was finally torn down. Today, Pastor Jim reminds us that when we receive Jesus' free gift of forgiveness for every wrong we will ever commit, we can walk right into God's throne room and see Him face to face. With that in mind, here's Pastor Jim in the book of 1 Peter chapter 3 with part 2 of his message entitled, A Great Victory. Today you're going to drive down to Washington, D.C., and you're just going to barge right in and you're going to talk to the president. We'll come visit you in prison, all right? (laughs) And if you don't watch yourself, you might get shot (laughs) because they're carrying (laughs) over there. Now, but if you were one of his children... Some of us remember that old picture of JFK's kids under the desk in the Oval Office. If we're one of his children and he's not in some meeting with some high-ranking government official, can we run right into the Oval Office? Of course we can. So Jesus died on the cross in our place for our sins. So if you will, we can run as God's little children into the throne of grace. We now have access. And I think that's seen here in the contrast between death and life. It says here that Jesus was put to death by who? By people and made alive by the Spirit. And I would say by the agency of the Holy Spirit. And for us, when we put our trust in Jesus Christ, our eternal destiny changes. And it's only because the Bible teaches the death, resurrection, and ascension of Jesus Christ does a person have the hope of the forgiveness of sins does have the hope of eternal life, has the hope of access to God without being cut off, if you will, on your way in. This is how a sinner can walk into the presence of a holy God because of the response of faith and trust to the work of Jesus Christ. Now, some people say, well, I think you go to heaven by being a good person. Why, why would God have his son bludgeoned on a cross if you and I could go to heaven simply by being what we call a good person. 2 Corinthians 5.21, that famous verse says this, for he, talking about God, made him, talking about his beloved son Jesus, who knew no sin to be sin for us. That does not mean that Jesus was made a sinner. It means that his sins, our sins were placed upon him. He died on the cross as our 
substitute. You know, the students, you know this, when you know, your teachers can't do something, they can't make it to school, they call in a substitute, right? And what do you do when the substitute comes? Nothing. Okay, chaos, right? <laughs> right? So, so you, you, the, the teacher couldn't come in, so they had to get someone to do it in their place. We couldn't die for our own sins as a satisfactory payment to God, so he got someone in our place. Why? It says here, that we might become the righteousness of God in him. It is through the death and resurrection of Jesus Christ, also his sinless life, and our trust in him that God calls people righteous. The Apostle Paul said this, Romans 4, 5. But to him who does not work, right? the Bible teaches there's nothing we can do to get ourselves into heaven, but believes on him, puts their trust in Jesus, who justifies the ungodly, his faith, the person who's going to heaven's faith in Jesus, is accounted for righteousness. So in all of this, Jesus, who never sinned, his suffering was undeserved. Peter is making the case to these people that when you or I or they suffer for doing good for the kingdom of God, that Peter knows, that God knows, it's undeserved. And Peter doesn't want his people to give up. He wants them to see that today's troubles are temporary. Today's troubles are temporary, and victory is sure. You say, how can I be sure? Look at the miracles of Jesus Christ in the Gospels. Look at how he deals with the forces of evil. And we see at the cross and the resurrection, neither death nor the forces of evil can beat the power of God. Peter wants us to see that there is power in the life of a believer when we see that victory, when we see the victory of the Lord Jesus Christ, and there is power in the life of a believer in declaring that victory to our own souls, and there is power in the life of a believer when we declare that victory to one another. There is a confidence that God wants all of us to have that just as God rose Jesus from the dead, he will fulfill his promise to raise from the dead, or we might say bring to heaven all who turn to him and put their trust in him. Now that was the easy part of the message. Now we go into the quagmire. Verse 19. I'm going to read it first. I'm going to Comment from one of the greatest theologians of all history, and then we'll try and pick it apart a little. Verse 19 and 20. By whom also he went and preached to the spirits in prison, who formerly were disobedient when once the divine long-suffering waited in the days of Noah while the ark was being prepared, in which a few, that is eight souls, were saved through water. All right, let me quote the great theologian and reformer Martin Luther. He said this, A wonderful text this is, and a more obscure passage than perhaps any other in the New Testament, so that I do not know for a certainty just what Peter means. (laughs) Thank you, Martin Luther. (laughs) Thank you. So let's go through it slowly. Now, he just said in verse 18, he just said that Jesus was... Uh, made alive by the Spirit. This is why I lean towards the agency of the Holy Spirit, because look at what verse 19 says. By whom? He was raised in the Spirit. By whom? 
by what? The power and agency of the Holy Spirit. Also, he, that would be Jesus, okay, went. Well, now the question is, where did he go? Right? Oh, he's like, that's easy. He went and preached. That's what he was always doing, Pastor Jim, to the spirits in prison. Now, that's the statement that has a lot of people in a knot because who are they? Typically, not always, but typically in the Bible, uh, spirits is a, is a word that's used for non-human evil spirits. And so, did he go speak to them in prison? Now, some scholars think that the term prison doesn't necessarily refer to hell. It could be just a metaphor for God's control over the spirits. Verse 20, who formerly, that's like the only part I understand, that means in the past, okay, who formerly were disobedient when once the divine long-suffering waited in the days of Noah. You might want to just jot down, read Genesis 6 for your homework, hundreds and hundreds of years, thousands of years before, and just a period of great wickedness. And there's these people roaming the earth called the sons of men, the Nephilim, and some people don't know whether they're just these wicked people or they're evil spirits and they're having children with women and, and just what, it, my goodness, like are their heads turning around like the exorcist or people don't even really know for sure what's going on. I know some of you who are like in your teens, you're like, oh, well, you old people should know. Weren't you there? We weren't. <laughs> we weren't there, okay? So who formerly, okay, in the past were disobedient when the divine long-suffering waited in the days of Noah while the ark was being prepared. That took a long time for Noah to build the ark in which a few, that is, Eight souls were saved through water. I just want to be like, only eight people. Of all the people that were alive back then, only eight people. So you say, what in the world does that mean? There are countless theories on what this means. I probably read through about 30. You can read the word biblical commentary by Ramsey. I think he does a good job with it. If you ladies are like, I want a woman's point of view. Okay, Karen Job wrote the Baker commentary. It's not her woman's point of view. She's the woman who just studied this stuff. And she did a great job with it, I thought, as well. And some people say there's you know, 30 theories. Other people say there's three, four, five, ten. I narrowed it down to five. I'll narrow it down to five. Theory number one, after Jesus died, he went and preached salvation to the people in hell, offering them a second chance. I think that is totally okay as long as you don't read the rest of the Bible, <laughs> okay? Because that just is an impossible case to make from the Bible. You could make it just from this one section, but you can't make it from the rest of the Bible. Number two, after Jesus died, he went to the people who repented and believed while they were drowning in the flood of Noah and led them out of purgatory. Like they couldn't get on the boat, so Jesus sent them to another boat in purgatory, and now he went and goes to preach to them. Again, totally fine as long as you don't read the Bible, right? Because there's no such place as purgatory in the Bible. Number three, after Jesus died, he went to all the people in hell and told them, nana, 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 it's too late, okay? <laughs> Somehow, I just don't see that one working. So let me give you the two that you know, I think is perhaps the best two. And for one of them, this one is for years, the most accepted was that Jesus preached through Noah. The Spirit of God preached through Noah. Peter will call him in his second letter, a preacher of righteousness in a time of great wickedness. And we see that in the Bible. When the prophets, they speak, the Spirit of God is speaking through them. That's what I always hope happens here every Sunday morning when we gather that the Spirit of God is speaking things to people that would be other than maybe what I'm saying and so 
he was speaking in this time of great wickedness, but the time of wickedness was so great that only eight people believed, and the rest ended up in hell. And that's a reasonable explanation. There's some, there's some verb tenses and some languages that pose some difficulties in that, but that's reasonable. The one that's most popular today is this among scholars. After Jesus died, sometime in between the resurrection and the ascension, some would say during the ascension, okay, Jesus visited the wicked fallen angels, the spirits from Noah's age, and he declared victory to them. In other words, all of this wickedness, the ones that are already in prison, or just even could be all of them, just to say that your time is over, it is now the kingdom age. That could be as well. So you say, now I'm thoroughly confused, Pastor Jim. Thank you. I'm not so sure we're looking for the best explanation. I think we're looking for the least difficult. So what do we have to do here? We have to kiss, right? We have to kiss. No, not rock and roll all night and party every day we got to try and keep it simple. So let's just talk about a few things that maybe can make it simple for us. This could be a first century creed that was circulated around the church. Remember, he's writing to a group of people that they would have understood, especially since they would know a lot about Noah, a lot more than most of us would because they were Old Testament Bible readers. They had the benefit of the apostolic ministry of the apostles going and their disciples going around explaining the Old Testament to them. They're Old Testament Bible readers. Not many Christians are today. But let's talk about what's clear here. One thing that's clear here is that we know that Noah lived in a time of great wickedness. And so do these Christians living in the Roman Empire And so many of you would say that the the wickedness in our culture is getting somewhat out of control. We also know that in the story of Noah, only eight people got on the boat, that believers in Yahweh, believers in God, the true and living God, were small in numbers. Now in regards to the Roman Empire, the first century church, they were rather small in numbers. Now, not talking about people in the United States who say they're Christian, but people who would demonstrate the things that that Jesus tells us to look for in Christians, we would have to realize that we are relatively, not like in Noah's time, but we are relatively small in number. We're not really told this about Noah. A lot of people just think it because it just would make sense. You would think that Noah was mocked for what he was doing. I mean, you would just think that, look, look at that crazy guy building that boat, right? He says it's going to rain. A lot of scholars would tell us there's no rain up until that point. They're like, what's rain? <laughs> right? And like, what a crazy guy. And maybe you have that too. You don't realize it, but you were carrying your Bible and fighting with your kids and your wife and your husband to get to church. And, you know, come on, we're going to be late. We're going to be late. And one of them's like, we go to Calvary Chapel. Everybody's late, right? And so you're late. And your neighbors are looking out the window like, look at those crazy people. I mean, just look at them. They're in their pajamas, sipping their coffee, like every Sunday, going out with their Bibles and their kids and going to church. They're just nuts. Or people invite you to parties on Sundays, and you're always late. You're always late because you go to church, and people just think that you're crazy. So that's clear, right? What's also clear? Noah warned people. He was a preacher of righteousness. Noah told people that God was going to come and he was going to judge the unrighteous. What's also clear, God was patient. God allowed the building of an ark during all that time as a period of time in which people would hear Noah speak 
and be able to think about those things. And who knows who else was around talking about the things that Noah was saying, how the news was traveling and thinking, are we going to believe what Noah believes or are we going to go our own way? What do we also know? At the time of judgment, what happened? Noah fled to the ark to be saved. A picture of what we do we flee to the cross of Jesus Christ. So the ark is a type of Christ. We flee to the cross of Jesus Christ to be saved from our sins. So when we come to passages like this, it's okay to say we really don't know exactly what it says. It's kind of like we've said this before. It's kind of like a radio signal. And when you're near a radio signal, the closer you are to the tower, the better signal you get. But the further you drive away, you start to get static. And sometimes we're just far away, we don't really understand, and we're faulty receivers of the message. There's also other things in our life that maybe make it difficult for us sometimes. If we're just living for ourselves and don't care what God says, it's harder and harder to receive the message of grace as we receive more of a message of conviction that God is telling us we're not living for Him. Sometimes our reception's not that good. Uh, Pam and I went to a funeral Friday night. We got in the car, and so we're listening to our radio station. And so we're driving through certain areas, and she's like, you know, every time we come through here in your car, I realize your radio is not near as good as mine. Right? So she has better reception, that's not saying much, than I do, okay? So better reception. It's also like some of you who've listened to our radio station, you say, well, you know, kind of in my area, I'm driving down the street and it's fine, and then all of a sudden it dies out for a little bit, and then it comes back on. I can tell you the reason. You're driving behind a ridge. The radio signal is not able to get over the ridge, but what do you need to do? You need to hang in there, and you know that clarity is eventually going to come. So if you're new to the Bible, even if you say you've been a Christian for many years, but you're new to the Bible, it's important to realize that you might not know that much now. The signal might not be that great now. Hang in there. Clarity will come. We all must be humble and teachable before the Word of God. I mean, we do our best to try and get it, but it's so important that we realize that we just might be wrong. We might end up wrong unless we work very hard at what we call hermeneutics, the art and science of biblical interpretation. That's why I'm trying to cover a lot of stuff here and to give you some ideas of how to read the Bible when you don't really understand it because there are so many nuances and some of the words that come from one language to another don't always mean exactly the same thing. For example, a lot of people who read this passage say, well, here's the thing. Jesus was preaching. Noah was preaching. Jesus was preaching. Obviously, he was preaching the gospel or the good news of the kingdom. The only problem with that is Greek word for preaching here is a different word than the preaching of the kingdom. It's a word that more often than not means proclamation, specifically proclamation of a victory. And so it's not that easy to tell. Again, what is this whole section, chapter 3, about? It's about preserving through difficult times like Noah did. He uses Noah as an example. First he tells us like Jesus did, then he gives us a human example, like Noah and Noah and his wife and his sons and their wives. And the point here that he's making to his people is this. If God preserved Noah and saved Noah as he lived for the Lord in a godless world, he will do the same for Peter's readers. And he will do the same for us because we are what? Part of Peter's readers readers. 
Interesting, the same water that judged sinners saved Noah. Just like death for some will represent judgment, but for others, those who have put their trust in Jesus Christ is the way that God takes us home. That's why we don't die as people who have no hope. That's why we might be afraid of the process of death. Nobody wants you know, these long illnesses. Who can blame anybody for that? But we're not afraid of dying because dying, through dying, we come into the presence of our Lord. So this passage is a passage of victory, not for a time of sorrow. Remember when the women went to see Jesus' tomb to anoint the body with spices, and they were like, oh my gosh, someone took him, someone took him. And the angel said, he has risen just as he said. It's no cause to be upset. It's, this is good news. And friends, this is something I think Peter wants us to see, that no amount of evil can stop the power of God from saving you. None. None. Nor can your sin, no matter how great you think it is or how much it is, stop Jesus Christ from forgiving you. Because his grace is always greater than your sin. I believe in a passage like this, the Lord wants us to lift up our eyes from all of our troubles and to see the victorious Christ, to see the ascended Lord who saves. All right, verse 21, you're like, oh, goodness gracious, thank goodness that's over. It doesn't get much easier. Verse 21, there is also an anti-type. Some of your versions say there's also something that corresponds. Another version says symbolizes. There is also an antitype which now saves us, baptism. Now let's stop right there for a second. That was a soundbite, wasn't it? That was a soundbite. Because if you don't take the whole Bible and you don't look at how he's taught, what he means by the word baptism, you could read that right now. And if you have your idea of what that word baptism means, you just read that what saves you is baptism. Now, I thought eagerly waiting for God saved us. <laughs> now it's baptism. Are the Bible writers confused? Not at all. Baptism is such an interesting thing. You know how this goes. People who are not Christians at all. They don't believe in God. They don't care about God. But yet they bring their kids to church and have them baptized. Isn't that interesting? It's like they're buying an insurance policy. You know, just in case, man. (laughs) Maybe get the kid in. But here we have to remember, first off, the Bible's overall teaching is crystal clear that we are saved because of what Jesus did. We receive it by the grace of God through faith. We also have to remember that these are first century readers, okay, most of them were Gentiles, non-Jews, converted later in life who were baptized as adults, and so they would be thinking of this word a lot differently as we'll see in a minute. So he clarifies it, he says, which now saves us. It just, I, I always think about the process of guys writing the Bible, and they're like, baptism, and then the Holy Spirit going, you better clarify that. <laughs> Not the removal of the filth of the flesh. So he's saying it's not an outward physical act, but the answer of a good conscience towards God. So somehow it's an internal matter of the heart. Another version says this, an appeal to God for a clear conscience. And the appeal to God would be faith. And then he gives us the key to salvation through the resurrection of Jesus Christ. The Apostle Peter, very resurrection conscious, who has gone 
into heaven, that's the ascension, right? And is at the right hand of God, that is the place of authority, that is equality with God. Remember, that was what the religious leaders, why they gave Jesus the death penalty. You, being a mere man, make yourself out to be God. And Jesus didn't go, you got me all wrong. He didn't say that at all. He's like, yep, yep, that's what I'm doing. You've been listening to Changed by Love, the teaching ministry of Pastor Jim Kevney of Calvary Chapel Morris Hills in Dover, New Jersey. Our hope and prayer is that all of our listeners would grow into committed followers of Jesus Christ. And we are overjoyed to play whatever role we can in helping you mature in your faith. Would you like to know more about us? Maybe you'd like to pass on this message to a friend or family member. If so, go to our website at www.changedbyloveradio.com. Maybe you have a question or need some guidance. We don't want to replace your pastor, but we are here to help. It's so easy to contact us. All you have to do is call, click, or write. Our phone number is 973-659-3380. That's 973-659-3380. Our email address is info at changedbyloveradio.com. And our mailing address is Changed by Love, 158 West Clinton Street, Dover, New Jersey, 07801. Once again, that's Changed by Love, 158 West Clinton Street, Dover, New Jersey, 07801. You may be surprised to know how excited Pastor Jim and the Change by Love radio team are to hear from you. In fact, it's common for Pastor Jim to pass on your encouragement to the congregation here in New Jersey, since we consider all our listeners part of our family. That's all the time we have for today. Our sincere hope and desire is that you will join us again next time on this radio station as we continue teaching the Word of the Lord here in the book of 1 Peter, one verse at a time. We here at Change by Love pray God's best to each and every one of you today. Until next time, 